This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's a double whammy this week as the Clarets look to get wins from Southampton and Wolves to get them closer and closer outside of that relegation zone. This is the Non and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to a jubilant edition of the Known and Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me are my very, very good colleagues, George and Tom. We are here, gentlemen, to celebrate the Clarets being out of the relegation zone for the first time since October. How are we both feeling? God, it's a relief, isn't it? It's incredible. You know, and I saw that stat the other day. For some reason, it doesn't feel like we've been in the relegation that long, six no. months, but... Now we're not. Now we're not in it. It feels very, very nice. Yeah, it does. George, yeah, I think I've got a nose. I think I've got a nosebleed from being so high up the table. <laughs> My heavy heights for seventeen. It feels really weird. <laughs> Definitely, it does feel really weird. It's the hope that kills you. No, 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 no. None of that. Oh, 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 no oh, killing. Well, Turn out to be a brilliant, you know, it's the thing that sparks us to yes, go on. Yes, you know? that's my boy, that's my boy. Right. Well, before we dive, dive dive into that, let's recap where we are, listeners. We have had two analysis shows since we last spoke to you. The first one was the obvious one that had to be done, which was the shock reaction to the um, dismissal of Sean Dyche from his post. Um, George, you were on that podcast and I don't think, Tom, I don't think you were. We, I, think it, I think you and me were missing from that. I think it was, was it George and Rich? It was. I should know this, listeners, I'm sorry. Um, and we haven't really been able to, to look at games since then because quite frankly, listeners, an awful lot has gone on in the last two weeks. Uh, but since then, Burnley have played three games and got a total of seven points from those three games. We went away to West Ham and we got a well-deserved point. Uh, could have been more, but for a Corner missed penalty. I mean, at corner. Um, and we have then had two back to back home games at home against Southampton and Wolves, two successive victories. Tom, I'm going to dive straight into it. Let's park Dash for now because we've talked about that and we know that that's the elephant in the room that's going to oversee all of this. But talk me through what you think has been the different, the significant change in the last three games that has got us to where we are. Uh, yeah. It'd be difficult to, to, to talk about it without parking dice, I think. Um, okay, go for it then. Go for it. Yeah. So I think the last time I was on was after the Norwich game. And um, you, you, me and Adam did that one. And, and we were saying, you know, we didn't want to accept. But at the same time, there was things that it, it was obviously getting wrong that, that needed to be improved. And, I, you know, I don't think we've reinvented the wheel really since since he left. You know, Jack, uh, Jackson always says in his interviews he's very sort of respectful. He's downplaying what he's been doing, and he and he's saying it made little tweaks. and And to me, it was the things that we were talking about that needed to be changed. That he has changed, and it's made such a big difference. So uh, the obvious one is is uh, is Cork and Brownhill yeah. coming the midfield pair again. I think I think everyone in the world, apart from Sean Dyche, knew that that should be the central midfield pairing. Probably. Uh, Perhaps it's the circumstances come about because obviously Westwood did start at West Ham um, before he got that horrific injury, and it's you know it's really sad that that had to happen, you know, for for us to get that midfield partnership on there. But since since he has had that injury, you know, we have looked a lot better. Core has made a big difference to that midfield, um, and then the other thing that that was glaringly obvious was how to get Vegas in the team, you know, how to get him linking up uh, play by not just pinging it constantly at his head. 
by giving it on the deck, by playing it around, by letting him do what he's good at, which is getting the ball and speed back to goal, laying it off and, and moving. And, you know, the, these weren't difficult things to fathom, I don't think. We've seen both of these things earlier in the season working well, and, and we've seen that we look at that team when, A, when we get the ball into Vegas' feet, and B, when we play Cork and Brown on the midfield too. And it was bizarre, really, that, that Dyche couldn't see that. And, you know, like, like, as I said on that show, I didn't want him sacked, but he was getting things wrong. And to me, that's all that's needed to be changed. Uh, and I have to say, I didn't think that just changing those two things would alter our fortune so dramatically. But at the minute, it does seem to have. And there's, there's probably other things in the background as well. You know, there's players like McNeil and Roberts who are always talking about the shackles coming off. They look happier. They look like they're playing with a bit more confidence and a bit more freedom. But yeah, fundamentally for me, that the, the two obvious changes were what we've, we've been pointed after the Norwich, uh, after the Norwich game. And, uh, you know, Jackson was one of the many people who apparently you could see that that needed to be changed and, and long may it continue. Yeah, I think I read today in one of the local press that, that Jackson had been uh, had been literally trawling through hours and hours of footage. And, and one of the things that he was particularly impressed with was how much Vidra, for example, tore apart Wolves last time he played. So he's, he's been doing his he's been doing his background. He really has. Um I think one of the points that that has really struck me, George, and this is a really uncomfortable thing to have to address as fans and massive fans of Daesh, but there have been too many references from players and from Mike Jackson himself in post-match interviews about using freedom and being able to go forward more. It's very obvious that rightly or wrongly, these players felt that they were somehow shackled under Daesh and that they were their creative play had been subdued somewhat. Um, I think for me, one of the, obviously, as Tom Riley said, McNeil's clearly got a smile on his face now. But one that's really been effective for me is playing the ball to Vegos' feet. You know, we're playing on the deck more Nick Pope's throwing the ball out rather than kicking it out. And we're not relying on an aerial threat anymore. You know, that to me, I think is a really important change in a style. Do you not, do you see that? Yeah, de- yeah, definitely. It's been brilliant to watch, hasn't it, last three games, especially yeah, the last yeah. two home games, obviously, when, where we've been really on the front foot, whether that comes out in terms of possession or what, it, we've been really on the front foot. I think for me, the two, the, I, I split it down into two things in my head. You've got personnel changes and you've got tactical changes. Now, personnel changes, I reckon it's really easy, like post, post-event analysis to be like, well, that's it. Dash had lost the dressing room. They all hated him, you know, now they really want to play. But, I, you know, I don't think that necessarily has to be the case. But mm-hmm. I think it might be the case that 10 years at a club, they've not been able to refresh the squad for four or five years, essentially. We've got basically the same team as we had when we were playing in Europe. Um, you know, sometimes it just does become stale. It's no one's fault. It just happens. It happens in businesses. It happens at football clubs. We don't have the money that Fergie had at United to refresh his squad. So I think very much so, it might be the case that the players had had, 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 had enough of Daesh. You know, not not that they'd willed him to leave, but it's just one of them things where it becomes, becomes stale. So I think that's, for me, the personnel change, him leaving and no one replacing him. It's a bit like when my boss walks out the room at work, it's like, brilliant. Get in, you know, back in the net, it's going to be well for, you know, and I really do think that's, I really do think that's half of the, the shackles being released in, in a way, because essentially we've not replaced Daesh at all. We've promoted an cad under 23 managers, clearly not going to be as like, as very as strict over this team, it's not his team. And then on the other side, you've got the tactical changes, as Tom, Tom referred to earlier, bringing Cork in, playing it out from the back, just having that freedom to go forward and, and not be too concerned about what happens if you give the ball away, I think Daesh obviously, rightly or wrongly, had when his back was against the wall and we were, you know, we've been struggling this season. It's right back to basics, defend well first and see what happens from there. And, you know, that's like done as well for, for a long time, but it might not necessarily have been the right thing to do this season. And you've seen under Jackson, they've got the freedom of not having a manager in place that it's been a, it's been a kick up all their backsides, really. So the players have come together as one. And, and don't forget, no matter what post-event analysis you might do on Daesh here, he put together an incredible squad there in terms of characters. Like, it's a really good dressing room. So if you had any dressing room that needed to come together after something like this happening, you'd probably want ours. And I think it's been shown out onto the pitch in terms of the freedom they play with, the confidence they play with. And obviously, like Tom said earlier, the tactical changes that have been made, it's just been really good to watch. We've been playing out from the back, Poach, been throwing it. 
at every opportunity he gets yeah. rather than going long. And it's just been really good to watch. Yeah, Tom, you've just made a really good point in our chat box, actually, about your feeling that if, if Daesh had lost the dressing room, we wouldn't have beaten Everton. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with this, but I'm very interested to see how you reconcile that with the obvious, not-so-subtle references that the players are much happier now that Daesh has gone. Well, yeah, I just that that win was, you know, I heard people sort of talking about the Southampton win as the as the best win of the season, you know, or the best performance of the season. Uh, I'm not sure it was, and like me personally, I came off the turf like I mean, it was it was more the way the game went, you know, two one down and then three two up instead of a comfortable win against a, a mid table team. But I was more pumped coming off that that Everton game for sure, um, and it was the spirit, you know that. The, the floor for me was, was was tactical, and and that's been borne out. But I don't think, and, and I know like you haven't had the players coming out and fawning over him and stuff. And they've got other things to think about. There's obviously players that didn't get on with him as much, or there's players that prefer the style that we're playing now. I think Roberts and McNeil because it's more of a style that suits them, of course. Yeah. But I think if it really fell out with him, or they all hated him. Then that you know when you two one down at half time in that game. He's not getting like that second half performance and that win out of him. So, yeah, that was just just when George mentioned earlier about you know potentially losing the dressing room and, and he said the same. You know, they, I don't think that's the the reason. I think it is more tactical and, and maybe just like you, like you've been saying the, the freshness, the new approach, the different ideas. I don't think it was necessarily as personal as that implies. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I think there's a very obvious thing here in that the, the terminology of losing the dressing room is quite a global term and it doesn't necessarily mean everything that you think it means. To me, you can lose the dressing room by tactical inability or tactical rigidity. It doesn't have to be a personality thing. The players could have happily still had an awful lot of respect for Daesh, liked him as a person and liked working for him, but just got so frustrated with his inability to change his style or to evolve the team and that's what lost him they, they, they were frustrated with that rather than anything else and I, I think I genuinely think that's what happened I, I don't believe that there's anything more sinister than that but for me there's just been too much too many unsubtle references um in the in the press and in in the reaction to the last three games for it to be anything anything um less than that um George Two very different games, the Wolves game and the Southampton game. Let's start with that Southampton game. Um, it was an absolute joy. I mean, I, I haven't seen us play with that freedom. And I was, I don't know about you, but I was not nervous at any point during that game at all. Oh, let, let's not push it. I get nervous all the time. But no, it was, it was, it, well, let, I think there's, that you can split that game into two parts. You've got 10 minutes at the start before we score. Or ten or so minutes, and then you've got the 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 rest of the game because I thought until we scored, we looked really nervous, and we looked like a team that knew if they lost that match, well, it's good night Vienna almost. But after after we scored, it seemed to settle the entire team down. They played with such freedom, like we've been saying. They played it on the ground, and like this team, I've said it for years. There's just such a confidence team. You know, football is a confidence game. Once you get the wind wind in your sails, you're flying, and they played like a team, played like a team with a lot of confidence. And I think obviously it did help that Southampton were essentially on the beach. You know, they really didn't turn up on the night, but we just played such good football. And at no point, like you like you referred to, Natalie, at no point, point did you think, well, Southampton are getting back into no. this. It was just wave after wave of really good football, making chances. I mean, you know, it could have been, it could have easily been 3 0, 4 0. I mean, I know that's an overused term in football, but really, it really could have. And it it was just it was just a joy to watch. I, I was there. I was in the accessibility stand first half, but second half we went down to pitch side, and it and you were just like 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 I suppose you say, Natalie. There wasn't them that them nerves there. You were just watching with a beaming smile, thinking, "Wow, this is a display. It really is." And I think obviously we'll talk about it later, but the crowd reaction as well. What a night! Why do you think the crowd did react the way they did, George? Because from what we understand, like a lot of, and I've seen it split 50-50. I don't think it's as um, partisan against as pace as a lot of people are making it out to be. There's, a, there's, I've seen an equal number of fans who were embraced the change as much as they were opposed to it. So bearing that in mind, what was it about that Southampton game, bearing in mind what had just happened, that raised the crowd as much as it did? I think it's it's 
simply just because we're, we're a good fan base, you know, at heart, and we're understanding, and we've been understanding, you know, well, for, throughout my, for, you know, for the last 10 years under Dice, there's been, you know, ups, downs here, there, and everywhere. And throughout that, there's, there has been understanding. I do think it would have been a different case. Say that home game would have been on the Sunday where the West Ham game was. You know, I think you, I think you really could have had, you know, a bit, a bit of that creeping into the ground. But on mm. Thursday, you know, time's a healer. For me, if it was on the Sunday, I'd have been really like properly in a bad mood, foul stench around me. But by the Thursday, it was like, yeah, you know, George, we know we've we've had you on social, we've had you on our WhatsApp group for the past two weeks. We know about the foul stench around you for the two weeks. Believe me. So it's, so it's like <laughs> it's just like time's a healer, and I think everyone pulled together on the night to to. I think everyone just understood, you know, this team is not an amazing team. And in order to get us through this, everyone's going to have to be pulling in the right direction. And I thought, thought the tone of the entire night from the supporters was was bang on, you know, support the team. They lifted them in moments like Jackson's referred to af- after the game um, yesterday. And then when it all came down to it in the last five minutes or so, once we knew the game was dead and buried, that's when that's when the, the crowd really paid homage to to Daesh and to, to everything that he had achieved. So I think, you know, the crowd was fantastic on the night and it's just one of them, you know, we're a good fan base and we know that in order to pull this team through, we've never been the greatest of teams. The crowd plays a big part in that. And it was nice to see Jackson talk about that after, after the game yesterday. Yeah, I think that is something that we'd struggled with ourselves in Daesh's, the, the latter stages of Daesh's regime as well, Tom. Not because we were trying to get him sacked or not because we were like massively fed up. But I think Daesh as well, towards the end of it, was struggling to rally the fans as well. Um, I, I wonder whether what George is saying is right in that it sh- if that West Ham game had been home on that Sunday, whether there would have been a difference in the crowd. Because I think Pace looked mightily uncomfortable in those stands. I think he knew that it was he needed to go well. <laughs> I think um, with the atmosphere, you know, Everton aside, maybe that was the best atmosphere, Southampton certainly, that we've had for the season. And as much as anything else, you know, you know, I was a big fan of Dyche and I wouldn't have sacked him, but the football was crap. You know, it was rubbish to watch. We've been crap for a good 18 months. It's not inspiring. You know, we're not attacking teams. We're playing rubbish football. We haven't had a lot to get excited about. So, you know, perhaps as much as anything else, there's a bit of a bit of hope. You know, I would say I went down to the West Ham game. There was a few sort of Sean Dyche, Clarence Blue armies here and there. But again, it wasn't really, you know, there wasn't, I didn't detect like a feeling of mutiny or anything in the crowd. It was, you know, there was a, I think the re, the reaction when it happened was as much just shock as anything else, you know, yeah. just really came out of the blue. But, you know, when you're going on the game, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a Sean Dyche fan, I'm a Burnley fan. And, I, you know, I, I want to go and see Burnley win. So, you know, I'm not going to turn up and because Dyche has been sacked, I'm going to start chanting about him for nine minutes and not the team. You know, we want to see him do well. I think the performance at West Ham <laughs> was encouraging and that there was more of a an attacking thrust. Um, you know, there's leaving players up, you know, corner getting away on the counter-attack, things like that. And and then they take that into the Southampton game. And when you've got two winnable home games in the week, you've just picked up a decent away point. You know, everyone in the stadium wants us to stay up. You know, we're, we're not like... I've seen loads of Leeds fans on this app, Bielsa saying, I'd rather get relegated with Bielsa than stay up with, without him. And it's like, get a great man. Yeah. You know, bigger than bigger than the club to some of their fans. And and I, I don't think any Burnley fan, as much as, you know, we, we appreciate Dash and what he did for us, um, perhaps the fact that we haven't been very good for 18 months just play a part in it. But there's no Burnley fan who's thinking that he's bigger than the club. And that, no. that's why we had the atmosphere that we had, I think, because people recognised that it was, you know, time to get beyond the, the team and, and if we want to stay that's what we need to do. And saying that as well, I think, I, I thought it was really, really nice in that Southampton game, the way that just the last couple of minutes when you knew the game was won and it was over, then there was some Sean Dyche chance, you know. Yeah, definitely. And it was perfectly pitched that because, it, you know, it's not everyone in the stadium then, you know that it's not, you know, chanting against the decision that the board's made or anything like that. It it's was a just, farewell. Yeah, exactly. It's just a, a farewell and a mark of respect. And, I thought I thought that was beautifully pitched as well. 
Yeah, I do. I do expect that at some point, the last game, the last home game of the season, I think there'll be a repeat of that. Um, I don't think it'll drag on to next year, but I, I do think that, especially if we survive, I think there'll be an acknowledgement from the crowd in the final home game of the season. There'll be some something done. There might be some banners in the crowd. There might be something that just says, um, you know, we acknowledge the part that you've played and the fact. And you know, we've got to bear in mind, listeners, as well, that the fact that we are in this season fighting for our Premier League life and trying to stay in a division is because Daesh put us in the position where we've been able to do that. He brought us Premier League football twice. He kept us in the league for five or six years. The only reason why we are in this position being able to try and have a great escape from this league is because what a dash did to us, um, did for us, sorry, not did to us. Yeah, God, what he did to us, what he did for us. And that's that's recognised. Um, and I'm, I don't make any apologies at all as a fan from, from wanting the next chapter to start um, because I think you can have both. Um, now, George, let's contrast that with yesterday's game which was of course the home tie against Wolves very different opposition very different kettle of fish and ironically after everything we've just said a much more Daesh-like performance than the Southampton game yeah I don't think that was I don't think that was as much to do with with us in as much as it had to do with with Wolves in that I, I do think the first half we weren't particularly great but I did think the mentality of the squad was to go at, go at the Wolves game similarly to they did against Southampton. It was just that they came up against a better opposition. Wolves, Wolves, Wolves were a good team, even though they didn't really click yesterday. Defensively, absolutely sound. You know they were really difficult to break down that first half. Every time we tried to move, it just didn't quite work. And you know we went in at halftime, and one thing which I think is important to pick up on that Jackson, you know, of the changes that he's made at halftime when that whistle blows. They all sprint down that tunnel. They're off. That you know, they show real urgency. I'm, I'm certainly is a Jackson thing that he said because I noticed when they were all sprinting down the tunnel. I think Brownell and McNeil were just chatting and sort of walking, and Jackson went to come on, lads, and like ushered them in, and they all sprinted down the tunnel. So I, I don't. I think it was a lot to do with how Wolves defended. Really, really, you know, good team. I, I didn't give them yeah. enough, enough credit before the game. I thought they were on the beach. Like that in my head, I thought, oh, we'll go up against Wolves. We're on the beach, but they're actually fighting for seventh. So that's nonsense. But second half, as we'll go on to talk about, we did play. We did play better. We were more on the front foot, and I think we eventually sort of found our way into the game. But then, like you're saying, Ashley, once we got that that winner and brought Barnes on, brought Long on, it was a very much a resolute oh. display. And they, they showed. They showed. They showed. I think what's really working for us is that for as much as Jackson's like shackles are off approach is is doing wonders for us at the heart of it the coaching team apart from obviously the four that left is essentially Daesh's coaching team and that that the fundamentals to the side still there you know that strong jaw you know that real defensive resolute display that we've been putting on for years that's still there so it's yeah. like the, it's the two worlds coming together which is really helping us and you, you saw both sides of that in the Wolves game with the really good move for the goal but then also the really good defensive work for the rest of the game yeah, I've got to say, and the reason why I guess when, when George said this, because I, I, I desperately wanted to talk about this, Tom, is that despite me consistently writing Barnes off and saying that we're done now, what an inspired substitution that was. The right man for the job at the right time. And my goodness, how effective was that Barnes substitution? I think uh, he's, he's a funny player and he's yeah. very, very unique. <laughs> Like funny in both sense of the word, really. It's like when you know, if you're drawing or losing and you bring him on, he says, Just think, oh my god, here we go. But when he's coming on and and he's just wasting time, being annoying, being a nuisance, fantastic. So it's, uh, it's a beautiful sight, you know. There's always room for a nice bit of uh, you know, gamesmanship. Uh, it does get the crowd going, and uh, yeah, that that was the job he had to do when he came on and he did it beautifully. I think, um, I, I'd like to sort of pick up on a bit what you said about it being like a very dice-like win. Um, I mm, think those subs, you know, and Long coming on as well, going very defensive, very early. Um, it really did have the hallmarks of a classic Sean Dyche, you know, Premier League win, nil-nil at half time, nick a goal, sit on it and never look like you're in trouble once you've scored that goal. And um, I think it was really interesting to see the team take that approach because one thing that I thought from the, the West Ham and Southampton games, West Ham 
you know, Nick Pope makes two terrific saves at the end to, to, to earn us a point, um, even though we'd had a few good chances earlier in the game. And then Southampton, you know, George said, you said it could have been three or four nil. We definitely could have scored three or four, but we could have easily conceived three yes. or four. I thought Romeo, two free headers, uh, that tackle from Taylor just to take it off Adam's toe, just to do shot. And I thought perhaps we'd lost a little bit of defensive solidity in, in taking the shackles off a little bit. So to me, it was really encouraging that we were so solid against Wolves. I think they're a bit more of a kind of cautious patient. Um, they don't have a lot of goals in them. And I think we've always done well against them for that reason. You know, even uh, when Dyche's manager, I don't think we've lost them since they came up. Uh, maybe maybe one defeat. But, we, are, you know, we normally do well against them. Um, and I thought it was really encouraging that we've still got that in our locker. You know, it's not just um, take the shackles off, let's go and beat Team 3 or 4-0. We can grind out 1-0 as well because um, we're going to need both elements between now and the end of the season, you know, I wouldn't want to go um, to Spurs away and see if defend like we did it uh, at times against West Ham and Southampton. So the fact that we can dig in when we need to, the fact that we can nick a goal and still sit on it and look as comfortable as we did, to me, that, that suggests that Jackson's got more than just one sort of tactical plan in his locker, which, you know, Dyche probably didn't have. So that was really encouraging for me. Yeah, it really was. I'm I'm really intrigued by this um, new phase, this this sort of like end to the season that we're doing because we're, we're much more we're driving forward a lot more. We seem a bit more driven in our attack. And yeah, you're right. It's leaving us more exposed defensively because we are pushing forward and we're trying to get that goal. But weirdly, it's making me feel less nervous that we would concede a goal, which is really bizarre, really, because. You know, when we do defend, like the Wolves game, I did expect an equaliser at some point or I did expect us to go one goal behind. And I didn't feel that, despite a fantastic display by, by Nathan Collins again, and Tarky was phenomenal, like he is every single match these days. I did feel, I didn't feel as confident in the Wolves game that I did, than I did in the Southampton game, even though we were a bit more laps at the back. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a weird one, really. And I, I wonder whether that's probably as a spectator, when you're watching it, you get more excited about the attack and that's where you you throw your attention that you almost kind of forget about defence. Whereas when you're playing a classic Burnley defensive strategy and it's all, you know, backs against the wall, that's all you've got to look at. So I think you may be a bit more aware of it. So I'm very conscious that that's probably more of what it is than, than the actual reality of us being very exposed in the Southampton game. Um, George, one of the one of the people that I thought we missed, and I think Ashley Barnes very much replicated this when he came on, um, despite a really bizarre loss of form and seemingly an inability to control a ball since he got back from AFCON, I really felt like we missed Corny for the Wolves game. Um, and I think it's probably that physicality on the wing that I was missing more than potentially the chances or the technique, which was something that I think... Barnes really brought with him when he came on. Um, but for me, post-AFCON, Corn is still a very intriguing character. I'm not entirely sure where he fits in the side at the moment. Is that fair? Am I being mean? Probably not being mean. I think it, I think it's one of them where I know it's really, really simplifies it, and it's not a, it's it's not a great line of argument. But take take half of his goals out of his game first half of the season. You can look at his displays and think, what's he offering? Because it's it's really easy if a player's hitting the back of the net every few games or every two games, as it seemed to be, thinking, wow, what a player. You know, he's really doing well here. And then obviously you've seen the second half of the season take the goals out of his out of his play. And then you're thinking, all right, what's what's he bringing, yeah. bringing to the team? So I think he's just sort of struggling to to find exactly where to play. And I think obviously on the I think on the wing is that's his that's his home that's where he should be for us he's on the wing I don't think he should be playing up front I, I really like Vegos and Rodriguez together myself me too what I, what, what I found with the, the Wolves game is that obviously Jackson went attacking from the off three strikers but obviously playing Rodriguez slash Vidra on the wing they were alternating because and I think the alternation was more because neither of them could really do it figure it out <laughs> No, <laughs> neither of them could, yeah, neither of them could figure it out, yeah, it which is fair enough. They're both strikers. Of course, it yeah. It didn't quite, it didn't quite work, but at the same time, it didn't go disastrously wrong. So really, who cares? But I think in the second half, I was like thinking, right, I was saying, Do let's bring Lennon. Yeah, let's bring on Lennon now. Let's bring on Lennon, and you know, and we did bring on Lennon in the end because it, it did become clear that they just, it's just, up, it's just up in their heads. It's, it's obviously it's playing a different game to, to what they usually play in, so it takes a bit of time to 
to get into it again. So it didn't quite work, the experiment. But at the same time, it didn't backfire, really, because we still won the game. So I think it's hard to, to judge it. And maybe, you know, if, if, if in the future we have to do it again and they've trained a bit more on it and they've had that experience in the game, you know, it might not be the end of the world. I mean, we've seen what, what it reminded me of um, was there was a period of about five games, about five, six years ago, when we played Barnes on left wing. It was when we beat um, City with a George Boyd goal and we'd, we'd play Barnes on oh, the left wow, wing. Oh, wow, I've like, forgotten that. Like, yeah, for like a month or two. And honestly, and it was brilliant. Because no, let, no, 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 no. Let, let's not do that again, George. Well we, well, we beat City, you know. So And I just it just reminded me of that. And I remember playing on FIFA, playing with Barnes on left wing for like a full season on my career. Mode. So I was like, this is a masterclass. It's brilliant. So it did remind me of that. But yeah, maybe going forward, once Corner's fit, yeah, getting back out wide. And, and I like Vidra as a, as a bench player. It's, it's not harsh to say. I just think that's where he's best suited. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tom, you just mentioned there very quickly about Corne playing that dual striker winger role. Is that where you see his future? Or do you do you want to just put him on the wing like George does? Yeah, no, I felt like what he was trying to do with Rodriguez and Vidra, sort of letting them sometimes drift, sometimes come inside, is what he's been doing with Corne the first couple of games. I think especially for the, the penalty he got at West Ham. It was because he'd stayed up in a central role. Obviously, I know that's slightly different because he's held from the set piece. But I think him and McNeil, I think they're both, while they're playing out wide, you know, they're not they're not glued to that wing as much as they were under dice. So a lot of the wing play, especially for McNeil, when he was out on that left-hand side, was just go outside your man, get a crossover, and come up and down and track your fullback. And I think he's got, they've both got a lot more license now to come inside, <clears throat> link up play, come inside and have a shot. And I think, um, yeah, I think that 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 role that, like you say, that Vidra and Rodriguez were trying to do and not really succeeding at, I think Corne can do that. I think he, he can... Uh, there's been a lot of debate this season, hasn't there, about whether he should be on the wing or up front. Yeah. And I think if you let him just kind of float between the two, you know, one thing that they've, they've uh, not asked the wings to do as much is to cover the fullbacks. And while that does perhaps impact on us defensively somewhat, it gives us another dimension going forward. And I think he works there. So I'm hoping he'll be back to, to Watford because I'm quite intrigued to see how he develops playing that kind of role. Yeah, definitely. So where we get to with that then, of course, is those two wins, the difference between them, irrespective of the two performances that we put in, has seen us climb out of the relegation zone, as we talked about at the beginning there. Um, before we do go on to look about what's left for the rest of the season and what we think our survival hopes now are, um, I'm going to throw that question out there that everybody's talking about, and that is, of course, the managerial situation. Tom, over to you. It should be a very simple answer. Do you keep Jackson in charge now till the end of the season or do you want the permanent manager to come in now? Whoever that may be. Yeah, it's funny. When it, you know, when it, when it happened and, and there was no sort of planning in place, there was no succession plan, I was thinking about other clubs who've been in this situation where they sacked. I was thinking about well, when Wolves sacked McCarthy and put Terry Connor in charge, yeah. when Middlesbrough sacked uh, Karanka and put Steve Agnew. They tend to just tail off and fall off a cliff, don't they? And I was really worried that was going to happen, but He's done tremendously well, Jackson. I, 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 you know, I hold my hands up. I really didn't think that that we would do anywhere near as well as he has done, especially when you look at his previous record with Shrewsbury and Tranmere. Um, I think the only thing that worries me with saying give it until the end of the season is like we seem to be doing quite well at the minute, where pace just rings him up a couple of days before and says, "Ah, do the game on Saturday, will you?" Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if maybe the dynamic could shift a little bit if he started having to plan beyond that. So. Maybe just keep it as it is for now. Maybe just, uh, you know, keep Sam Allardyce on ice. and. Uh, oh, don't, just... please don't say that. Don't blind <laughs> me up with that, Tom. It's not and even then, funny. Yeah, just, yeah just, give him, just give him a bell two days before and just say, are you doing anything this weekend, Mike? No, Sam, we've got Watford away if you don't mind doing that one as well. And uh, <laughs> carry on like that. I'm, I, you know, let's not rock the boat any more than we need to at the minute. He must know. He must know that he's going to have to take over till the end of the season. I, I don't, I, you know, he's a, he's a clever bloke and he's, he's around football management. I, I don't know if I necessarily believe this. This oh, I, We've not had any conversations. I think there is some media um, protection going on there. Um, I think as far as I'm concerned, I see absolutely no benefit at all in bringing in a new manager right now. I think if there were still 10, 12 games to go, yes, I think that's perhaps too long a stretch for a caretaker manager. Um, but we've got, what, five games left to go and we've given ourselves a fantastic chance. We've got a manager who's getting the best out of these players. We've got a group that is 
all singing from the same hymn sheet and they all are very, very connected. Um, George, to me, it would say, I think it would be counterproductive to bring in a new manager now. Personally, I think we've had, you know, the good bounce from Jackson now and I'd, I'd be looking to bring an experience facing, you know, someone like out of a job, I don't know, like Simon Grayson, you know, he's really had the experience in football. Um, so I'd personally be looking to bring in an older head for a few games, someone like a Grayson. Really? You're winding me up, aren't you? Yeah, he's yeah. laughing. He's laughing. Oh, honest <laughs> to God, I probably fell for that. Then I just got, while he was talking as well. Then I just had to very quickly answer a message that had just come through my phone. So I was only half listening. And John went like in the back of your mind. I'm going, am I mishearing what he's saying? George Poole, pack it in. It's not funny. All no, of our listeners have just switched off. <laughs> in all in all seriousness, like like I like I alluded to before. I think I think a lot of uh, what's serving as well is the, at the moment is the the, the playing without a without you know a proper manager the old manager's gone that that sort of real mili- military military attitude i don't know about the defensive shape all that it's it's all gone and in the meantime you've got a guy there who's clearly happy enough to to really give a lot of responsibility to the older players in the squad like 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 ben may who's obviously um taken up this little coaching capacity for the time being and it's really up to the players. And that's what, what we've said, handed it over to the players. It's your responsibility, you know, to come together and, and get us out of this. And I'll make the tweaks on the sidelines and, you know, we'll, we'll set up a bit different. But a lot of a lot of it is on the players. And we've got so much experience in there that it's serving us well. And there's no reason now to appoint a manager who would, by the way, what good manager is going to come to us with five games left to potentially get a relegation on their CV? You know, there's the talk of Wilder. Well, if that didn't happen immediately in the wake of Daesh, yeah. it's not going to happen before the end of the season. So personally, I'd, I'd, you know, let's see what happens with Jackson. I think the way it's, I've, I think it's really, it's really easy to give Pace a lot of credit for this. I think he's sort of fallen into this bit of good fortune that Jackson's doing really well. But let's just give it until the end, leave it till the end of the season. If we go up, if we stay down, that's when the big change is made. Um, if we stay up, and I'm not going to be one of these saying let's get in the job full time because I don't think it, you know. No, but, I agree. I don't think it's. I think you know. Let's leave that. Ch- yeah, let's leave that change till the summer. Yeah, I- I'm not sure. I share this. You're right, George. By the way, um, Pace has been the beneficiary of a massive stroke of luck with Jackson turning out to be an absolute genius, Magic Mike. Um, but I, I'm not. I'm also not going to remove credit for him from making that bold choice in the first place for me I was happy with Pace making that decision irrespective of whether we go down or not because I think the time had come um, and we were going down under Daesh I don't think Daesh was going to keep us up so to me I think I, I look at this as the change in the manager was necessary um, and that was a decision that was made. If that then comes with a great secondary bonus that it also happens to keep us in a division we weren't expected to stay in, then that to me is a happy bonus. But I, even if we end up getting relegated, I'm still happy with the decision to, to replace Daesh. In terms of that relegation battle, Tom... It's not 100% advantage Burnley right now because Everton, of course, do still have a game in hand over us. And if they win that game in hand, they go back above us and it's it's in their hands then. But it certainly feels out of us, Everton, and I'm putting Leeds in there as well, that we look the most likely to get out of this at the moment. Where, where are you feeling generally in terms of relegation? Well, we've got the momentum for sure. Um, we're in a much, much better position than we were a week ago. Um, we, you know, there's belief in the team. We look like we can win games, which perhaps didn't prior. Obviously, only four four wins under Dyer, I think, all season, and it's already two under Jackson. So, um, yeah, it, you, you've got to be a lot more hopeful than you were a week ago. Um, I do think, you know, I think rumours of Everton's demise have been slightly exaggerated, and a battling performance at Anfield. Um, and I think you have to remember the two games before that. Uh, you know, one that went over. I know Man United are, are no great shakes this season, but it was a, an impressive win to bounce back, especially from um, from being beaten by us. And then the, the Leicester game, I don't played very well. I think struggled, but to come up with a, a 90-second minute equaliser, so I don't think they're going to roll over and go away. And uh, and Leeds have been fantastic since they replaced Bielsa with the American guy. So uh, yeah, it, 
at the minute, we've given ourselves a chance, and I think uh, I'd rather have our last few fixtures than Leeds or Everton's mm. last few fixtures. We've got a great chance with these next two winnable games now. If we can, if we can make it four wins on the trot, then I think we probably only need uh, out of these last five. I think we probably only need two wins and maybe a draw or two. I think that would probably do it. And if it gets to the last day of the season and we're in with a chance and Everton are playing Arsenal and we're playing Newcastle, then you'd much rather have our fixture in there. But I think it's dangerous to to start feeling like just because we've got out the drop zone now and we're a couple of points clear that it's that you know it's inevitable that we're going to stay up because there's still a lot of work to be done. And you know it's easy for me to say you know I think probably only need two wins and a couple of points, maybe three wins. That you know that we can't just click our fingers and get that. We've got some difficult games, so uh, I'm encouraged. I think we've got a chance now. Whereas you know when I agree with you, you know I thought we were going down under Dyche, and when I heard that we weren't replacing him, I thought we were definitely done for. So it, it's very encouraging for me. But there's still a lot to be done. It's we, we can't get complacent yet, and we can't be thinking it's pretty much done and dust because it, it's a long way from that. And I think Everton and Leeds are going to are going to push us the whole way. You're coming at me with your rational logic, Tom. I've already got to survive. Don't be, don't be deflating my balloon. Um, let's just recap on those fixtures then. Um, both Leeds and Everton have six games left, um, as opposed to Burnley's five games left. Uh, one of those is actually in progress as we're recording. It's halftime um, with Leeds away at Palace and it is nil-nil at the moment. Leeds are playing Crystal Palace as we speak, but then following that, their remaining five fixtures are City at home, Arsenal away, Chelsea at home, Brighton at home and Brentford away. Quite frankly, horrific fixtures. And if they don't get three points away at Palace tonight, you'd certainly feel that they're going to struggle in the next three games, at least anyway. Um, and by the time it gets to the last two games of the season, they may already be very much in that. Um, Everton also have got six games to play. They start um, this weekend at home to Chelsea. Then they've got to play... Um, hang on, my screen's gone. They've got to play uh, Leicester away. Watford away, Brentford at home, Palace at home, and Arsenal at home. Away, sorry. Um, better fixtures than the Leeds ones, but there are a couple of winnable games in there as well. Um, George, on top of that, though, um, it definitely feels like in terms of a club that's used to being in a relegation battle and has got its expectations firmly on solid ground... I still fancy Burnley to to pull us out of that. Where are you feeling with this? Yeah, oh, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I, th- I think at full time yesterday, I'm like, yeah, come on, this is it. Great escape song. We're, we're staying up. We're doing it. And obviously, like <laughs> in in the in in the in, you know in the 24 hours after, you, you you sort of settle down a bit more, and you think, oh, you know, Everton. I've been Everton. I think Everton. It's easy to give them too much credit for the Liverpool performance. I think they were resolute. But at the same time, I think it was really striking and apparent in the Merseyside derby how rubbish a team they are. You know, the fact that they had to resort to them really like proper Daishi's Burnley at its worst tactics. Like they, they weren't going to trying to score a goal, particularly if you look at the possession in the game, it was all Liverpool. From minute one, they were time wasting. You know, you could tell how bad a team Everton are from that. And Again, I've said this before this season, Frank Lampard's interviews, I do not, I would not trust that guy with trying to get my club out of a relegation fight. There's just no, there's no fire, fire, fire behind his eyes. There's nothing there for me. Um, so wrapping that up, I'd, I don't, I wouldn't trust Everton to stay up, but I also wouldn't trust them to go down just because of their history. And they have got that week or two of good fixtures to come, which Leeds don't. Everton have that couple of good fixtures on the bounce and we've seen how good they are at Goodison at times when that crowd gets behind them long and short of it is I'm sort of talking on here but I have no clue I'm not really sure I think we'll <laughs> we'll know a lot more in a week's time um, once we've played Watford because say we go to Watford and win we will we'll be in a really commanding position there because I'd take a draw right this very second at Watford just because I don't like away games 
I don't don't fancy us. I know Tom's shaking his head, but I, I don't fancy us at away games, just mentally. So I could take a draw right now, but say we did go down. Say we, yeah, but we didn't win. And say so say sorry. We didn't, we didn't <laughs> beat <laughs> Europe chasing seventh play for West Ham, who've got a, yeah, like they, Declan they Rice in their midfield. Oh wow. They weren't particularly <laughs> they weren't they weren't particularly good. And say and like Watford, it's just one it's one of them, like at Norwich as well. It's one of them where they're down. There's no pressure on them at all now. There's suddenly a little bit of pressure back on us now. Let's let's admit that now. Um, so, you know, Watford really could just throw a performance where they're like, yeah, let's go for it. No pressure. It's right. I don't know what to say, really. If we go to Watford and win, I, I'll be really confident. But I'm holding judgment until then because hope is a, it's a cruel mistress. Wow, that should be the title of the podcast. Hope is a cruel mistress. Um, Remind me to tell producer Matt that. Um, I've got to say, though, Tom, um, and I do a lot of what George has said, and it's that concern in the back of your head not to get carried away. I get that. One of the things that frustrated me about Daesh this season and what I think may very well still end up being our downfall is the performances against the teams around us. And Everton aside, we were just pathetic against there's no other way of putting it uh, against those those relegation threatened sides Mike Jackson's side the side that we're watching the last three games I would be absolutely gobsmacked to see that quite distant performance that very low energy not really trying nervy performance so I'm actually feeling very confident I think like this can be the one we can go to and win Watford are done Um, yeah they've got nothing to play for but equally we now have, and I feel like we're going to put in a much more clinical performance. Yeah, I think uh, when George said there, there's a bit more pressure on us now. That, that, that's maybe the case, but he said there's a lot more on Watford. You know, they're at home, they're in front of their own fans. And, you know, uh, while everyone knows, you know, realistically they are down, mathematically they're not. So, you know, they're not going to go out and, and play for a nil-nil draw. They've got attackers. And the reason they got a draw at the turf, I think, was because they came for a nil-nil and we weren't good enough to break it down. But if we're playing against a team who's got to come out and, you know, and push up, you know, now that we're playing Jackson ball and spraying it about all angles, you'd think that we'll find some gaps in in that defence, you know. Um, they're a team who've lost the last 10 at home. You'd rather be playing them at Vickery Road than you would on your own ground, really. Awful, yeah. you know, awful, awful. I think, I think it's the joint worst, you know, top flight home run ever, I think. So... Uh, it would be typical of us to be the team that goes to a team who's lost 10 on the spin at home and, and donate them some points. But the, We're usually very accommodating when teams need something, some kind of record-breaking against us. Yeah, that's it. But if you look at, like I say, we probably need two, maybe maybe three at a push wins between now and the end of the season. This is our best chance of a win for me. Um, you know, they're, they're rubbish, to, to put it bluntly. And like you said, Natalie, uh, the, the biggest problem this season has been not not doing the usual Burnley thing of, of putting the teams around the sword. And, you know, we, we look a bit more like the old Burnley now. We look like we've got confidence and we should have a lot more confidence in that Watford team. We should be going there and, and trying to win that game. And if we do, you know, talk about pressure, think of the pressure then that that puts on Everton. They're five points behind us with a game at home to Chelsea. That's become a must win. Do you know what I mean? That they will not be relishing that at all. And even Leeds, you know, as it stands, I think they are three, three points above us yeah. before they play Man City at the weekend. So if we beat Watford and they lose to Man City, our goal difference is miles better than theirs already, I think. So then we're above them as well. And then they've well and truly been dragged, kicking and screaming into it. So for me, uh, no fear for that one. It represents a fantastic opportunity. And to me, the attitude that's radiating from the camp at the minute is not fear, it's not pressure. It's what an opportunity we've got now. And that's, that's how I'd be feeling going into that game. If we can win that one and it's also winnable, then, you know, it's, it's looking good. Well, I'm going to call this now, listeners. I predict that Burnley are going to finish 16th. I think it is going to go to the end of the season. It's going to go to the final day, which everybody's been predicting it's going to do. But Burnley won't be involved in that. It will be a straight shootout between Everton and Leeds on the final game of the season. And we can have a party and throw abuse at Chris Wood at Turf Moor in the final game of the season. Um, Listeners, that is all we have time for this week. It has been a very enjoyable record this week. How rosy the world looks when your team is doing well and gives you some hope, um, even though said hope is 
as George said, a cruel mistress. I am very keen to hear what you think. I've been very actively reading all of your tweets and trawling through social media to get a, a good feel among the fans. But do drop us a line. I love it when you guys email us and, and let us know your thoughts. You know, you can tweet us at None and Ever. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page or you can email us at podcast at noneandever.net. Um, we what gosh, what's going on this week? We well, we don't have a game until this weekend, which is quite a refreshing change. Dave and I will be back for the preview show on Friday, looking ahead uh, to this weekend's fixture to that Watford game, and um, the rest of the panel will be back next Tuesday as usual to basically start the great escape party. That's how I'm calling this, and um, basically look back um, ten points in four games and another a third successive win. My thanks as ever go to everybody who has contributed to getting this podcast out there, to my colleagues Tom and George for um, coming on this evening and dissecting that so beautifully, to producer Matt to getting this out there, two podcasts a week is always a big ask, but he did so this week, so thank you Matt, Um, and to you the listener for downloading and listening to this podcast, your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. A quick reminder, if you've not already subscribed to the Known and Ever newsletter, you can do so. Jamie Smith and his writing team put out fantastic content every Monday and it very much is a joy to um, read in your inbox on a Monday. You can go that through Substack and I think producer Matt will put a link in the show notes so you can sign up for that. Um, And finally, um, Ralph, George Gaskell. Ah, thank you, George. I always forget poor George. Poor George Gaskell, who his Twitter handle is Ralph Wigan, always uh, gives us our podcast music for free and Tom is quite rightly saying George Gaskell's Clarence Blue Army um, so George thank you very much uh, for supplying our podcast music royalty free um, that is everything listeners do take care of yourselves and take care of others let's get behind Magic Mike and the Mighty Clarets this has been the Known and Never podcast I've been Natalie Bromley until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport, powered by fans.